Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to You. We're starting a whole new series. We've just finished a series called Unleashed, talking about the unleashing of God's love in this world, letting it loose. The evidence of it, the cross of Jesus, his dying on it, his walking from the grave alive, his ascending to glory, reigning with God, sending the Holy Spirit, God unleashing on the world his love and in such a way that here we are praising him with how great, wasn't that music great again this morning? It's just spectacular. And the words, I, I don't know how they find that kind of lyric. I'm amazed. It's fabulous stuff. Theologically stirring as well as the music and the energy of our singers up here. Man, oh, Manischewitz. It's just fantastic. I mean, I guess I used to have that kind of energy. I'd love to have it now. Maybe you should pray about that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence here with us. And thank you now that as we come to deal with the whole business of you loving us and being unquenchable in that love, none of the misery that we create, the sins we do, the attitudes that we bring, bad attitudes in any case, nothing can quench your love because you are love. Thank you, Lord, for being love. You are love, not just that you are loving. You're the very epitome of it. It all flows from you, as does all life. Anyway, Lord, take my lips now and speak through them. Set me free, the kind of freedom that we're talking of here. Set me free to speak well, to speak truth, to speak your love, to speak your genius. And set us free, Lord. Give us ears to hear, hearts to believe, passions to respond, willfulness to go out and serve and follow. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, you just heard read so fabulously by Pastor Doug the prologue to John's Gospel, first 14 verses. A prologue sets the stage for what's to follow. You can actually unwrap the whole of John's gospel through these words of the prologue. They set the stage, the themes are there. And to some extent, that's what we're going to try and do over the next weeks of summer. One of the things that's amazing when you read John is that he not only sets the stage, He sums it up so fantastically, I'm looking quickly to find it, 
the close of John's Gospel, he has these words, kind of sum it up. He said, look, many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, Jesus did, and which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe, listen to this, that Jesus is the Messiah, that is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, divine, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's a verse worth memorizing. That's the way John finishes up the gospel. Here he's laying it out. And he begins at the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, he's not speaking about a vocal word. He's not speaking about just passing on sounds. Word is a massive concept. And in that description is Jesus. So when you come to the close of these words, verse 14, the Word became flesh, that's Jesus, God incarnate, became flesh, and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Now we'll eventually get down to that, but here is the in the beginning was the Word. And that's really reminiscent of Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapter 1, first chapter of the Bible, Verse 1, verse 1 of the Bible, which starts off, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But in the beginning, God. Now, we have just said a creed. Let me just back up here a minute. We've just said a creed which speaks about God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You would never, ever dream up the being of a God who is one God yet with three persons. Not three gods, one God, but a plurality of personality, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The only reason we believe that, and the church wrestled with this for about four centuries, the early church, and came up at a place called Nicaea, which is actually in Turkey nowadays, all the council of the church gathering together to formulate conclusions they have. And the focus of it was really Jesus. Who was Jesus? They know he died on the cross, but there are all kinds of theories around that. They know that he walked from the grave. There are all kinds of theories around that. <clears throat> and they wrestled with these for, uh, into the fourth century. They finally drew up what we call the creed, the Nicene Creed, the Creed of Nicaea. These were leaders from all over the church world. England even had become a, a churched, evangelized community in those days and sent a bishop to the Council of Nicaea. That's all background. But when they formulated that description of who God is and what he came to do, what they were doing was mastering from God's Word what he has revealed of himself. It's a revelation. You wouldn't dream up the kind of difficulties that are created 
in having one God with three viable, distinctive persons, each of them God, and yet only one God, not three gods. Nobody would invent that. What they were struggling with was interpreting Scripture. Now, when it, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God, the word for God there is Elohim in Hebrew. And when it has that I am ending, the im, which is how it's pronounced, Elohim, that is a plural. So you've got the one God. The Jews brought monotheism to the world. Most religions have got a whole bunch of gods, thousands of them in the Hindu religion. One God with a plural nouned name, Elohim. That's just a hint of God coming in his word early in Revelation, showing himself to be something different than just like us, though he made us to be in his image. So when it goes on to speak about that, the same chapter, verse 26, it says this, God, like reflecting within himself, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Whoa. Our. Who's the our? Who? Here's this one God, Elohim, with a plural noun for his name, God, Elohim, saying, let us make man in our image. Well, he hasn't yet created the world, but in creating the cosmos, and it's a brilliant concept that we are the crowning glory of the cosmos. That's almost impossible to conceive of. He created us last in his image. But when he spoke of it and reflected on it within himself, he said, let us, that's more than one, create man in our image, like us, but God being one. So it goes on to say, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the genius and brilliance of creation was from this God who's already beginning to reveal himself as somehow not just a lone, single person. Let me just mention this in passing. The Bible doesn't say this, but in, in reflecting on that one thought, God before he made anything, because in the beginning, God. And God made everything. Two things I want to comment on. The first is this, that he wasn't alone, like so lonely by himself as God, that he created people and animals and things for company. He didn't need that. He had an unbroken, a dynamic fellowship within himself. The second thing is this, that when we speak, and you've already thought of this, we're talking like God is real and he did it all, but there's a whole world out there that doesn't believe in God. Have you ever thought that through? I remember back in my rock and roll days, if you can imagine that. And it's hard for you to imagine this guy up here being in a rock and roll band. 
But we were out on college campuses talking about Jesus. And we would get hit with atheists who would come and take us on. I mean, we created a stir. I mean, out of what we were doing, a phenomenal Christian ministry called the Coalition for Christian Outreach, CCO, was begun to follow up the students who were getting converted. But when we were on campus, the atheists would come after us. We had high visibility. We weren't playing in some corner with three or four people singing Kumbaya. Had a big sound system and my musicians were phenomenal. And they would come at us. So you now argue with an atheist. So I'd start where they are. I'd say, have you ever thought what it means to be an atheist? I mean, think this through. If there is no God, then you got here by accident. There is no design. As much as it looks like you're designed and it all works, it's all an accident. You're a freak of nature. And beyond that, there is no purpose. You just got here by accident. So there's no purpose, so you keep looking for a purpose for your life, but there is no big purpose. There is nowhere that it's really headed. There's nothing there, which means there is no right or wrong. Well, they like that idea because they're into screwing around and they don't want any God on their back telling them it's wrong. Not very different from today. But I said, you realize that when you say there is no right and wrong, and that all of us are freaks of nature, we got here by accident, you have set the stage for an Adolf Hitler. Because if there is no right and wrong, and if there is no more dignity to our lives because we got here by accident than flies that we squat and swat at and crush, or pigs that we shoot and kill. There's nothing wrong with any of that. It's just the way it is. Survival of the fittest. Power to the powerful. Hitler was the powerful. He decided he didn't like Jews and wanted to get rid of them. Well, that takes an atheist and stands him up and says, I don't believe that. Nobody wants to believe that. But the reality is, if you say there is no God, that's all you're left with, and that's all your life is, and you're just, uh, just passing through. And when you die, it's no more of consequence than a fly running into a fan. Do you get that? And everything in you, like me and like the world around, cries out, that cannot be the truth. And that's the conclusion I came to, just as, as a lad of maybe 14 or 15. There's got to be some purpose. We're not here by accident. The whole thing is too phenomenal. So God begins to reveal himself in his plurality, even in these earliest chapters. You can get to Isaiah chapter 6, where again God reveals himself to Isaiah. That's the chapter where you get the words, holy, holy, holy. The worship of heaven, he's witnessing. And when he sees that, he knows himself to be a sinner against this holy, holy, holy God. Maybe Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit, by the way. And then God says this to Isaiah. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Us. Who's us? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Again, an indicator that God is more than just an individual 
person like we are, that somehow in the totality of God, there is more about his personhood than ours. So you come to the New Testament, and it begins, in the beginning was God, sorry, start again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and what's the next phrase? Because with God means like beside God, alongside God. He was with God, the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word is Jesus. So it's Jesus who was with God and was, was God. And he goes on to say, and all things were made by him, the Word, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus, who came amongst us as an ordinary human being, the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, was the Creator God, the one who was with God and was God and was a part of making everything. These are huge and immense claims. But that's our God. We don't have some little Mickey Mouse God. We have a God who's a genius, who was able to create the atom and the parts of an atom and to make a human body with a nervous system directed from the brain, a blood flowing system pumped through the heart, a skeletal system with a bone structure the muscular and tendon support system that makes us movable and flexible and useful. What kind of genius created that? Our doctors and scientists are only discovering what the genius of God is as they unfold it. God is not some little Mickey Mouse God made up by us. He is profoundly brilliant. That's our God, and yet he loves us. He is love, just as I was praying. He was with God, was God. Now let me pass on again as we're delving into this John chapter 1 and verse 1. Listen to what it goes on to say behind the scenes. When it says, in the beginning was the word, he's not talking about a word like a sound, like my saying the, but, and, funny, or whatever. Those are words. In the original language of Greek, again, the word is logos. And it's the word from which we get logic. In the beginning was the logic. In the beginning was the mind. In the beginning was the rationale. In the beginning there was God, who was the mind, the brain, the rationale. And his name was Jesus. Because that word, that rationale, that creative genius became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. It's no wonder that through, just to take John's gospel, Jesus made such spectacular claims for himself. All the I am statements, you know, I am the light of the world, you're either mad or bad, pretending to be something, or you really are the light of the world. What about his saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. Who says that and means it and can get away with it? 
I would encourage you to go home and read John chapter 8. It's a long chapter. It's over 50-some verses. But Jesus is in intense confrontational dialogue with the religious leadership of his day who thinks he's wicked, demon-possessed, because he's making all these amazing claims for himself. And I want to read this little piece to you as they get talking about Abraham being their father. I'll pick this up at verse 56, John chapter 8. Listen to this. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. This is Jesus speaking, his day being now he's come to earth, he's present, and Abraham somehow, back all those centuries before this, rejoiced to see that in his mind. They said, these religious leaders, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. That's the most astounding I am statement. And given that we've been singing this profound theology, I would assume that most of you know that this I am business goes back to Moses on the mount, confronted by God at the burning bush, and Moses says, who are you, God? And his answer is, I am that I am. So when he says, Moses says, who shall I go? Because God's sending him to turn his people free from the Egyptians, from the slavery that they were enduring. When I go and tell them that some God has sent me to, to release them, who shall I say, send me? And his answer was, I am that I am. And what the Jews clearly understood, because they took up stones to stone him, once he said, before Abraham was, I am, guess what he's saying to them? I am that I am. I am that God. No wonder we encourage you to say the creedal statements with authority, almost like shouting them out, that we believe that in the face of the atheism and the deadness of our culture around us. We believe something that's dynamic and living and the evidence of it so overwhelming. And listen to this. You know they say we're mad, we believers, that it's like a crutch for us. We're, we're, the world tries to make us feel like we're just midgets, little squirty little worms. They laugh at us and put us down. Listen to this. They're the idiots because they don't believe that there is any rationale behind it. They believe that it's all accidental. Do you know, listen to me, I, I, I'm sorry to talk to you like granddad here, but I am. There is as much chance of the most primitive life form, single cell life form, coming into being by accident in this universe, there is as much chance of that as a whirlwind going through a junkyard and a 747 coming out the other end. That's a fact. That's the most simple life form. And you think it got here by accident? 
get real. I mean, it's, it's, it's astounding. So they're thinking it's all irrational. You know that. There's no mind behind it. They just want to be God. They want to do their own thing. We know what's going on. We know what the appetites are. Do you remember the Beatles song, Let Me Take You Down to Strawberry Fields? Nothing is real. Nothing to get hung about. Strawberry fields forever. Living is easy with eyes closed, misunderstanding all you see. It's getting hard to be someone, but it all works out. It doesn't matter much to me. Let me take you down, cause I'm going to strawberry fields. Nothing is... I could go on. <laughs> nothing is real, nothing to get hung about. Woo! Deliberate, nonsense, unreality. Legitimized by no one less than John and Paul, Ringo and George. Deliberate insanity. And they think we're mad? They think we don't have a mind? And then you read that the word, Jesus, the Logos, is the rationale, is the mind, and he loves you. I mean, that's the stunner. Most geniuses, by the way, are normally relational fruitcakes. That's, that's another generalization, I know, but Jesus is the ultimate genius and the ultimate lover because he so loved you, like one at a time. And that's what we're celebrating here with Holy Communion this morning. If you were God, you wouldn't do it what he did and the way he did it. You wouldn't do it like that. You'd come yourself, be humiliated, discarded, ridiculed, crucified. You wouldn't do it that way. But isn't that the genius of our God? Yes. That is a genius yes. because we are drawn to the cross. No wonder Paul was able to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Amen. That's the deal. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.